Hey, yo, welcome to another edition of 43.6, the sports podcast you always wanted. I'm Dustin Perry, and I'm joined by James Key. Hello, James. You are joined by me. And I'm also joined by Maddie Key. Hello, Maddie. Hey, yo. We got a big program for you this morning, I guess, is when you're probably listening to it, or afternoon. However you want to consume this show, we appreciate you do all those things. I appreciate you by uh, supporting us on all the podcast platforms in the world. If you want to subscribe over there and comment and do all those wonderful things, and it greatly, greatly helps us. Much like our wonderful sponsor also helps us as well. That's Now Your Treasures, and we'll talk a bit more about them later. This, of course, is episode 45 of 43.6. And on this episode, we're going to talk about the NHL arms race that is happening right now as the trade deadline is going to be this coming Friday by the time you're hearing this. The Major League Baseball spring training schedule has officially kicked off this past weekend, and some of the new rules are starting to make a bit of headlines, and also making headlines is one Carmella, and we're going to talk a bit about that. A whole, All that and a whole lot more coming up on this week's episode of 43.6, but before we get to all the sports, we do like to talk about our week and how things have been since we've last sat around these microphones and discussed. So, Maddie. I know you're trying to keep a child alive right now. Yes. How has your past week been? Well, if it's that present moment, he's doing a fucking shitty job because there's no child to be seen. Well, I'm not going to sit here holding the kid on camera I know. like it's fucking display. Is that a bassinet yeah, though in the back there? Yeah, that's her bassinet. I throw her in that sometimes when, you know, wife is walking around doing stuff. And if she's just sleeping, throw her in there. And Game I think on. she likes it in here though because there's so many really throw, Like a baseball, like just whipped her well, right like, in the I just pick her up by like the shirt slack and then just dump her in it's like if it was Scottish it would be like a caber toss it would just be like from the bottom yeah but no like I think she likes this room because like my walls are black so all the lights really pop and I think she just likes all the flashing lights from like the monitors and like the computer and everything like that so I think and it's really warm in here it's the warmest room in the house by far because you know when the heat's on at the time of year like this and the computer's on it's it's a sauna in here um but no like she's good she's getting fat which is what we want i keep telling her every day is like get fat you know because that's what babies need to do so she's starting to get the big rolls and the fat cheeks and i don't know jim's seen her and she's she kind of just loafs a lot you know what I used to think about, about babies, like when my kid was a baby and like she got fat, was in medieval times, like no one was around to go, babies need to get fat. So, or babies need this or babies need that, right? So like, I wonder what, what, what do people do? Like, like these guys, they took the kid home, they feed on the schedule. Like, what was the survival rate for kids back then just winging it? Like there, there was no... Google, there was no how to parent, there's no classes. You know, baby, like you're on a horse, baby, oh, water breaks, get off the horse, baby pops out, right? And in the middle of a field somewhere, pop, on the way to the next town. What do well, you do? Depending on who you ask. I, and I'm, I get my timelines mixed up, and I'm not sure exactly what's considered medieval times, but. If you look at like the Egyptian pyramids, which I assume is well before um, medieval times, if oh, you yeah. look at uh, Egyptian uh, Egyptians, <laughs> if you look Dustin, at Egyptian Dustin Perry, well known, not history major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. But if you look at the Egyptian pyramids, you always hear like some of these dudes who are like, yeah, humans were a far more advanced race back then. And then like something happened with wiped us all out. And we started over again. True. So it's very possible of, you know, ancient civilizations where popping babies out, no problem and feeding them like some special formula to grow their brains a different size and stuff like that. So that's true. Like, we don't know, right? Yeah, like we think back and just because we think this happened a long time ago, it doesn't mean like they were more primitive necessarily. True. Yeah. And like the practices they had could be more healthy. Like there's something to be said about too much information and too many different practices or, you know, schools of thought when it comes to raising a kid that, you know, I also think too, like and I said, this is you get inundated with so much information that you get to a point where you almost get paralyzed because you start wondering if instead of making a decision and saying this is what we're going to do you're like we'll try this then we'll try this then we'll try this then we'll try this and i think there's something to be said about a certain level of consistency to just say you're doing this this is how it's done and just do it um because and there's so many yeah there, there's so many things we do and and i'm not necessarily mean uh raising children in general but like so many things we do in our society now that's like done for convenience rather than health reasons <laughs> like like for example like this little package of like sn- a snack package thing that i just ate like what is in this thing you look at the ingredients it's like okay banana chips salt salted walnuts and then uh, yeah, all the way down there has got to be like some sort of crazy like the funniest thing um, chinese newspaper it's like right like there's gonna be all says, sorts of preservatives and chemicals and it says goods on it and they figure if if we put banana on the front and granola people are gonna think it's healthy but just because it's banana and granola doesn't make it healthy right <laughs> you okay? yeah as matty's dying over there exactly like he somebody knows needs it. some banana and granola yeah no uh because yeah, the there's also guar gum in this. So, so um, like guar, guar is actually is. really carb heavy, <laughs> like very carb heavy. Um, like realistically, probably shouldn't eat too many. Like I have a friend who's like, I eat bananas all the time, and I was like, how many days? Like, oh, I go through like three bananas um, a day. Yeah, that's. I was like, that's a lot of carbs, man. Because he's like, I'll do one in like a bowl of cereal with his breakfast and then he's like oh and then i have one for snack and maybe one in a smoothie i was like that's too many bananas man um, that was i eat one banana a day and i think that's sufficient but how, maybe even th- so good news about eating every uh, like three bananas every day like bananas are cheap that's like one of the few things that oh, yeah. has survived canadian grocery inflation is like you still get bananas for like 69 cents a pound or whatever which if you're homeless, just which if you're homeless, just jack yourself up on bananas. Like they're heavy in carbs. They have loads of throwback potassium. Like just jack yourself up on bananas. Why not? It worked for monkeys, right? Yeah. And if and if you're and for, for every a stronger animal, pound for pound, than like a chimpanzee or something. For every fifth person that donates you money, it's at least a bunch of bananas. True. Yeah. Right. I, I truly, I, here's my problem with bananas though. I hate the texture. The taste is good, but the, the texture of a banana is really weird to me. Yeah. It goes from solid to mush real quick. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I could never just eat a banana. It always had to be chopped up with other shit or like blended up into a smoothie. Cause I love the taste of a banana. Okay. Yeah. So how about this? Since texture is your thing, what's the optimal color? For a banana, 
Uh, yellow with uh, a little bit of spotting. It's actually true. I was wa <clears throat> my kid was watching Blippy, and I don't know if you don't know what Blippy is. <clears throat> it's this guy Not who used yet. to do weird videos about like lighting shit on fire or something and then he found his calling doing kids videos and they're like hyper educational and he does dancing and all this stuff and it's actually kind of cool because it's like really educational but in the video the one she's watching and she's learned this now is exactly what matt said yellow and it's just starting to turn black and spot a bit it's when it's actually the most sweet too yep. for banana so it's like peak flavor is at that point and now my but, kid always looks for that. She says, oh, look, it's time to eat that banana. The, the weirdest thing about bananas, though, is depending on its state, it actually changes a lot of the shit that's in it. Yeah. So, like, when it's green, it's not the best tasting, but it's got the most, you know, vitamins and minerals and crap that you would want out of it. Crap. But then what? <laughs> yeah. The crap yeah. that you would want. <laughs> I, I I'm very aware of bananas. I've eaten so many of them, but <clears throat> but then when it's yellow and spotting, yes, it's its sweetest. And if you had to have like a scale of healthiness of banana, that would be when it's its least healthy because it's in terms of consumption because of all like the sugars and stuff that make it sweetest. But um, and then when it's like brown as fuck, is the best to do it for like baking and shit. That's why you freeze them. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, as, as we digress, uh, keeping a kid alive, she's good. She's fun. She's starting to socially smile. So like, she'll look at you and smile or she'll like make sounds and start like wanting to play around and shit. So it's kind of fun. Um, other than that, <clears throat> I'm sick of shoveling snow, man. Like I used to love winter. I'd be like, yeah, snow, whatever. You kind of deal with it. And then I realized that living in a condo for four or five years with underground parking and shit like that, I was spoiled. The ivory tower. And, <laughs> this yeah. Guy. Pretty much. And now to the point where I turned to my wife this week after last Wednesday, Thursday's little snowstorm. And by little, I mean, we got 20 centimeters in the span of an hour and a half. Um, I said, fuck it. We're getting a heated driveway. Oh, no. so you're Why not even like taking the step into snowblower. Snow like, no, fuck it. We're jumping the snowblower. We're going right to heated driveway. A legitimately good snowblower is about eighteen hundred dollars after tax. That's about two grand. Okay. Yep. A heated driveway for my size driveway would be about forty five hundred. So, like three snowblowers worth. Well, like two and a half. <laughs> sure. Right, so but it's the effort you have to do cost benefit over the effort yeah. to snow blow too. Now, with the heated driveway, you can get them where the actual like switch is based off of like an app and everything. So like I could go to bed, flick it on to go on at like five in the morning, so that by the time I wake up and start leaving the house at like six o'clock, that shit's already gone. So I wonder how thing, medieval though. people dealt with their driveways. <laughs> <laughs> how did the ancient egyptians figure out snow, snow. removal oh, yeah. yeah how did they figure out snow removal in one of the hottest climates of the world that's, that's you tell me that's the joke hey man you tell me that that's obviously the joke um no, no. and it's also the uh the winter games that are coming to saudi arabia too so fuck who knows man no whatever um, but yes I, I just don't want to deal with it anymore also too where jim and me grew up and went to high school 
like snow shoveling wasn't, you know, you're out there for an hour and you're done. It was a two day endeavor. Yeah. Right. Like our driveway was like a hundred meters long and what, like 50 feet wide. You could fit three cars wide in our driveway. It was stupid. And we got dumped on. I remember one of the worst was the snow was legitimately up to my neck. And it took three days to shovel it. So I, remember this. I put in my time. I paid my dues. He's <laughs> a veteran. <laughs> See? Perfect time for the Happy Gilmore soundboard, James. Not all um, right. Now it's shooter's turn. Um <laughs> That was the my, that was the the clip I had thought about when I was in the shower. God, this sounds weird. Which one was, was it? Was <laughs> I can't believe I'm gonna say it. I thought of this in the shower, and this is You're the clip I thought guys. of. Pretty much. It was choke on that, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I have to to add that one. I'm going to add it. Choke on that, Uh, baby. Yeah. But uh, that was the one I thought of. So, yeah, I I put in my dues shoveling, Dustin. I'm done with it. Okay. So what I'm trying to get to with this heated driveway situation, though, how reliable is it to melt snow? Like, what is the threshold of it eventually just not melting the snow? Because snow insulates itself, too, right? So that's... Because like they say when you're in an avalanche, bury yourself in snow if you're so you don't freeze to death because you insulate yourself. Right, but if I turn this thing on as it starts snowing, true, the snow won't. It's accumulate. constant melting, melting right, on impact. And then not so, only that, it's a safety thing because then it won't ice up because it'll be warm and no risk of slippage. Except when it melts and you have nothing but water on your driveway and then you turn it off and it freezes as water. No, because I throw a shit ton of salt on my driveway, which my neighbor the other day is like, hey, you shouldn't do that. And I said, hey, go fuck yourself. <laughs> and they're upset because you share the same driveway. Yeah, but like he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of weird because he'll he'll shovel right up to like the property line and leave like a like a mound of snow in between our driveways. Mm. So I'm like. I was like, you're literally drawing lines in the snow here, man. So I was like, I, I see how this is. With that heated so, driveway, the wires stop just at the, just at the line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know what he's going to do like, when you get this heated driveway? So would you be able to do this half the driveway? Or are you going to do the whole thing and make him like chip in half of it? No, I'm going to do literally just mine. And I'm going to go right up to my the end of my garage door. So just probably about a half to a foot before the property line so my wife can get her car and it's fine and then he'll sit here and have to shovel and then it's not like the asshole can throw snow on my driveway because i have security cameras and i can see him do it you know what if it's late at night i'll just start shovel right onto your side and then let it let it melt no i would see him do it and then i'll slash his tires you you see it it's already (laughs) melting 100% as it's melting, I would get a Muskoka chair, get out there in full-on Hugh Hefner robe, watch him and like a hot chocolate and flip-flops yep. in the middle of the snow and just watch him shovel as your driveway melts. I would do that too. I'm that petty. I'm a very petty person by nature. So that's something I would do. Or like even just little things that I do to people just to bug them. Like if someone's like an asshole to me, and like I'm walking through a door or something, I'll be the guy who'll like squeak through the door and not hold <laughs> so it and just kind of close. like weasel myself in. It's it's the little things. Well, I think the heated driveway is a good idea. There you go. Um, See, finally something if, sold them on it. it. 
I was going to say, if you can set it, like automate it, so it like reads a weather app and it turns itself on based on what the like forecast says the snow is going to start at the X time, it just turns on on its own. Like that would be That's cool. So that's actually not a bad It's idea. funny. It, the heated driveway, you guys get it with your parking situations because your rampways are heated. And don't tell me you don't like that. Yeah, I guess that's I don't know true. If it's heated or not, but it's covered. So, like, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't deal with snow at all because I'm yeah, in the so underground parking. My old condo, the, the entranceway was heated driveway or heated rampway. So, like, because it was just before the garage door, it wasn't covered. So, like, it could fall. And it was here. You see, like, the steam coming up. It was kind of a cool look. It is. I mean, it's, it's technology at its finest. And it's, it's, it's interesting how it's not you like ubiquitous in canadian houses as you think it would be yeah like snow is a big problem here <laughs> like we spend a lot of time cleaning snow and clearing snow and throwing down salt or sand some sort of ice melter because you can't just get like the regular salt because no. your neighbor's going to yell at you for regular salt and then you're going to get the other people walking their dogs down the street and it's like oh you, can, you shouldn't be using this it messes with my dog's paws you got to throw down that like $13 tub of blue stuff to, you know, make it lighter on the, the puppy's paws and any other animal, I suppose, that you are walking. So there's a huge industry of like just snow removal in this country. And I'm very surprised that not enough people have heated driveways. I, I think like in my parents' neighborhood, I've only ever seen like four or five houses that have it. And there's like hundreds of houses there, right? So you can do you can do different ways. So you can get it where the the wires go like all the way through, like a full zigzag all the way, and it does your entire driveway. Or you can get strips where it does essentially the tire marks, the tire treads. What the fuck? No. But no, no, no. My driveway is small enough that I could do be like, hey, just give me the tire treads. It'll do the whole thing. Mm. So this is why it was only four thousand bucks because you're saying you're just getting tire treads. You're not doing the whole driveway. Yeah, but that's the smart thing to do because if I had a big like driveway that had two car garage and could fit four cars in it, I would need to do the full thing. So, All right, well, we will see. The yeah. uh, next summer if Maddie does end up with a heated driveway. What about you, James? You getting the heated driveway anytime soon? No, but speaking of veteran moves, I've had the most run-in encounters with the elderly this week that have just completely <laughs> blown my mind. I don't so I texted my brother, and I forget where I was. Where was I when I texted you? Do you remember? I don't know. I just got the message, and I've, I think it was yesterday, no? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, like, the situation, because I remember the... <coughs> I remember the premise. Literally, it's February 25th at 5 o'clock p.m. So it's two days ago. So it's Saturday. Oh, yeah. So... I was waiting to get on my elevator and this old guy next to me with, I would say zero, either zero control or zero hesitation, either of which just lets out the biggest fart, just no care, just, and like I said to, to Matt in the text, I said it was one of those ones that started very bassy and then jumped a few octaves. And, you know, hit the treble at its peak. Yeah. And the man had zero care and just walked into the elevator. Like this was, 
This was a daily, hourly occurrence. Like, okay, but hold on. Would you have appreciated the fact that he did it before getting in the elevator, or by the time you guys are all locked in this metal box? Oh, that I he just let think, one out. No, that's not even that. I, I think. Sorry to cough. Dying I think at the same time uh, while he's trying to tell the story. I think it was more the um, the complete and utter. You know, we we in in a situation like that, if it was you or I, in our present state, present age, we'd probably hold it until we get up to our apartment. This guy gave zero shits. He was just here now. You know? Yeah, but what if that that wasn't an option? Like this fart is coming in the next ten seconds. Well, I so either I rip it out now or I, I run the risk of ripping it out in the elevator. And I'm also assuming the other thing too is that uh, the physical risk of holding in a fart at that age is probably very high. Like it, it probably chances of your insides exploding is probably super high at eighty as opposed to what if to the now. doctor told him he had to. Right, like you, sir. You can't hold your farts in anymore. You, you must let them out. Exactly when they're fart. coming. You, you, you must fart. The doctor, the doctor's like, sir, <laughs> you must fart. <laughs> so, anyway, the guy. Uh, but like, and but it was like nothing ever happened. It's like farting was part of the walking process. That's like that's what it was like. So there was that, and I was just astounded. It's almost like the guys who fart openly when they like when they do a power piss, and you know they're farting because they're doing a power piss. It's the same thing. Like I'm just I'm so I'm so impressed at their oneness with nature. That okay. So that's that was a scene right out of the league where Kevin MacArthur goes to takes a piss yeah. in the urinal. And then lets out a fart at the same time. And like the guy in the urinal beside him was like, what the fuck are you doing? No. Yeah. Okay. Here's my dilemma. Sometimes you have like you're in public and you have to pee so bad. Then you have to fart and you're holding in the fart, but you can't pee or you pee, but you have to fart. So like you have to let it out, especially in like a, a public restroom situation. I think that's fair game. Now, the the weirdest things about men's public washrooms is how fucking close we have to stand to each other when we're doing whatever we're doing. Like, there's the the cineplexes or other more modern restaurants that will have like those universal washrooms where you just kind of go into like a very singular small room and there's a sink and a toilet yeah. and that's it. Yeah, that's the way this should be. Like the, the way I don't know why as a society we ended up in this public restroom situation where I am like shoulder to shoulder. I could reach over and jack this guy off if I wanted to like that. We are that close to each other taking a piss like and even in times like there's also never like a divider sometimes. That's and, and there's like one of those urinals that are like the smaller ones that kind of loop up and like there's no coverage anywhere. Like your dick's just out there. Like you are standing right beside another dude. His dick is always just out there. It's a very weird and like if you have to go into the stall so this isn't like an exclusively male thing. Like the women have to deal with the stalls too. You are so close to someone else also taking a shit. Like if you were out in nature, okay, like the ancient Egyptians would have been and you had to go just take a deuce in the middle of the sand or something. Like if someone else also had to do that, they wouldn't go sit right beside you. Like they not would within, find somewhere else, like down the street or something. I don't know. Yeah, not within hand-holding distance. It's like a giant litter box, though. Yeah, in ancient Egypt. But 
I used to play this game with friends and by game, I mean to make other people in the bathroom really awkward where you go to the urinal and you stand next to them. And then if there was the divider, you reach over and be like, Hey, my name's this. And you pretend to like reach over and shake their hand. That's uh, filthy. But you know what? Better than troughs. Like definitely they, better than troughs. There's I've a generation. Ever, yeah. I don't, I know I've encountered a trough before. I don't know if it was in, buffalo for yeah. a bills game yeah that's where the trough that's probably was. That, where it was that was the first didn't time i you, ever troughed it right and didn't you say like because you and uh old friend went to the bills game bill and didn't you say like these dudes are like arguing at the trough or something as they're like taking a leak or some shit i don't know it was years ago yeah i don't remember that but i'll, I'll tell you it's just it's graph the guys don't even hit it it's the wild west out there definitely but well you know what the fact that you let this dude live his best life and just fart up a storm in that elevator. Oh, I laughed mm. a good two feet behind him for sure. Oh. <laughs> he just this guy's gonna go home now and he's gonna be all self conscious and be like, "Fucking laughing at me farting." Oh, I don't know. You heard me. It would it would have taken him at least twenty minutes to turn around. So I don't know if he heard me. Oh, Did damn. you get on the elevator with him? Oh yeah. But like, would there have been an option for you to say, "You know what? You take this one, bud. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get the next one." Always, but I, I I've decided to join. I respected, like I said, I respected his oneness with nature. Yeah, yeah. And who knows? He might need it for a little extra speed these days. It can definitely propel you forward. That's for sure. Um, is that your is that your that's take it. on the? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I only got one thing. I was talking to Maddie about this before we started recording, and James, I don't know if you've been there, but I recommend it. Um, this past weekend, I went to Offworld Bar, and basically the concept is like you're on a a spaceship almost, or like you're I mean, not necessarily on a spaceship, but like you're on a different planet. It's like all the servers and host staff are like, "Hey, travelers," and like they're calling you like shit like that. So it's kind of like an off-brand Cantina bar where you're just aliens from all different planets, and you all gather at this one particular bar and. Uh, all the cocktails are so it's a cocktail bar, but like they're all pretty expensive, but they all look dope as shit. And they like have some sort of gimmick to it where they light up or they flash or they have smoke coming out of it or a big ass bubble or something. Really fun. I recommend it. It's on like Queen Street. Highly recommend. I also highly recommend everyone get on the Toronto Maple Leafs bandwagon right now. All right. It's time. Stuff is happening. Draft picks are being traded left and right. There has been quite the activity in NHL trades just in the Eastern Conference <laughs> in the past couple days since we, uh, I guess, I was going to say since we started recording, but that's not quite, that's not quite true. Uh, past couple days since the, we are now discussing right now, there's been a number of trades that have gone down. The first one that like really started to make noise was the um, the trade for Timo Meyer. I think that was the first one that started to come out, but we didn't know like what the package was. It was just like, okay, Timo Meyer is going to the Devils. We don't know for what yet, but we know like this guy's not involved. And then you see a tweet like 20 minutes later. Okay, I'm hearing this guy's not involved. <laughs> and it wasn't until like hours later when we finally found out what the whole deal was and holy crap is it a whole deal there was one two three four five six seven eight nine players and one two three four five six 
Actually, I don't think there's only four. It doesn't matter. There's like 10 pieces going the other, going either way. In what a deal that when it was Timo Meyer, I thought I was like, okay, it'll be like Meyer going one way and there'll be, you know, a, a player and a couple picks going the other way. But no, it almost seemed like the, the Sharks and the Devils just kind of swapped each other's rosters and said, hey, <laughs> you take these guys and I'll take these guys and, and we'll call it a day. Something that I think is worth looking at because we've seen it now in the Ryan O'Reilly trade. We've seen it in the Tebow Meyer trade. And as we get to it later, surely on this show, the uh, Jake McCabe trade, all of them have 50% retained. And I think something to keep your eye on for the next CBA, next time they're talking about you know leveling the playing field for the rest of the league and how can anyone compete with the Toronto Maple Leafs and their money, I think this might be something that teams are going to start looking at and saying, hold on a second. Is this really in the spirit of the, of the salary cap that all these teams can just load up at the playoffs for players like this? Also, a guy to keep your eye on, and I don't know if this is happening, but a lot of people are talking about like JT Miller might be traded in the next couple of days. <laughs> there goes my prediction saying you can't trade that. But if it's a 50% retained situation, I don't, I don't know if you'd want to retain 50% of his salary for the next eight years, but... Eight years? But do you, want, do you want 100% of his salary for eight years? Yeah, <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> if you frame it that way, do you want 50% or do you want 100%? Um, the other thing is uh, we saw this loophole a number of years ago with uh, Kucherov, I believe. When Kucherov was hurt all year and was on long-term injury reserve, Tampa Bay didn't have to... Like allocate that money to the salary cap, and then once the playoff starts, the salary cap goes away, and you can bring him back, him being uh, Kucherov, back onto your roster. JT Miller's week-to-week week with an injury. like You could feasibly acquire this player, immediately dump him on long-term injury reserve, and your cap situation doesn't change, and then you move on to the playoffs and bring him in. Like You could feasibly just bring in a bunch of guys who are hurt currently that you feel like are going to be ready for the playoffs, and completely circumvent the salary cap that way anyways the point is i think there's this trade deadline specifically is going to have ripple effects for the rest of the way this league looks at how it's constructed for a number of years going forward because the tampa bay lightning also made a trade and they acquired tanner Janot, who i'm like okay cool like i understand how that helps them like He's a physical guy. He'll be a bottom six player for sure. But although I wouldn't doubt they end up putting him like on a top six role and he ends up being an enforcer to protect some of those guys. But I can understand why they want a guy like that and how it helps. Totally understand. No issues until I saw the return. And did you guys also lose your mind when you saw that there was one, two, three, four, five picks? A first, a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth pick. And not to mention friend of the show, Cal Foot going the other way too. So for a that UFA return, bottom line, like a bottom six UFA. No, he's not a UFA, is he? He's he's that's his second year. He's a sophomore. I think this is I'm his. I'm pretty sure he's UFA. Oh no, he's RFA. Either yeah, way, Cal Foot can't possibly be. Uh, no, UFA I'm saying yet. no. I'm saying Tanner Janot. Oh, Tanner Janot. I see what you're saying. I'm pretty sure this is the second year of his ELC. <clears throat> I could be wrong. Or Tanner Janot? Yeah, it is. He's an RFA next season. That's... Right. 
I know like the RFA thing is very different because rights and the guy can just sit and not play or he signs somewhere else and you give up the picks. But the problem is, is a team could take advantage of that because Tampa has no picks to give up. Right. Or not. Sorry. The team, a lot of teams are, are stockpiling picks. So another team could sign him and just say, Hey, we'll give up these picks and Tampa. So low on picks, they might just be like, you know what? It's worth it. And draft capital back. And I think that's a, a good point that you're making. Um, and so, and that kind of relates to the Toronto issue too, with the Ryan O'Reilly trade and the Jake, uh, the Jake McCabe trade. Everyone who is negative to these moves are saying, "Well, the Maple Leafs don't have any draft picks anymore. I can't believe this. They've traded away this first round pick and that first round pick, and they don't have anything anymore. This is ridiculous." Not how you... people need to understand that draft picks are, like James says, uh, magic beans, but they're also it's a dynamic data point. Like at this given moment on this given day, yes, the Toronto Maple Leafs only have in this coming draft, a third round pick, a fifth round pick and a sixth round pick. But on draft yeah. day, what's to say that they don't flip? I don't know. Uh, Callie Yarncroke for a third, a second overall pick. Who's to say they don't package up a defenseman they don't need anymore because now all of a sudden they have eight defensemen on their roster. If all of a sudden they say, you know what, who wants Rasmus Sandin for a first-round pick? Your draft pick and your draft situation can completely change from February to fucking June. So when people are saying like, oh, I can't believe Kyle Dubas gave up all these draft picks, come at me in June when the draft actually happens and then evaluate what the draft situation is for the Maple Leafs rather than doing it now in February because it, it doesn't make any sense right now. But they, they didn't give up draft picks. They traded draft picks and they got right. Jake McCabe 50% retained for two, more years. for two more years after this year. And they've got Sam Lafferty for one more year? I think so. <clears throat> that a pretty decent yes, contract. Left. Lafferty is on the books 1.15 for next year as well as this year. And like to be honest, like Tampa trades their picks because at the end of the day, and we've said this before, you know that in the next two, three years, you're probably going to be as competitive as you are now, which means your pick is probably going to fall relatively in the same place. So what are you saying? Are you saying you rather have that pick or would you rather trade it for assets? They're going to keep you competitive in this window and keep going towards your ultimate end goal of winning a Stanley Cup because I'll tell you those picks that the like if the Leafs keep the picks the Leafs keep trading away are guys that aren't going to be any sort of relevant for another three four five years maybe right and like the Leafs have Nylander, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, O'Reilly. Well, let's not count O'Reilly because he was part of the deal. But they have those guys now. So those guys in four or five years do nothing for this team now. And if you really believe this team has the pieces to win now, then you got to use that capital as currency and go out and get what you think you need to win. And the thing about the, the cap space, I don't know that they'll change that. Because these teams that suck are like you know like you said acquiring lots of draft capital 
and I mean, they can flip those for other things. They can hopefully draft decent players and, and build from there. Or you look look at Phoenix. Phoenix has a bunch of guys that aren't even playing just to hit the cap floor. Yeah. But they're acquiring a shit ton of picks to do it. They're gonna they're, there's gonna be a draft one year where every pick is Phoenix. It's gonna be between the bottom three teams of the previous season or two. Um it, yeah, I think you hit on the whole thing with Tampa and a quote from Julian Breezebois, the GM of the Lightning. He said, at the end of the day, I know there's a perceived value of those picks, but we have a really good idea of what the actual value of those picks are. Right. And he says, when we look at what that's worth to us based on the odds of those picks turning into good NHL players down the road, I'd rather have the good player right now for this season and next or however long and help this group win right now because I know what the odds of those picks turning into players. I also know what the odds of those picks turning into players that can help us win while we have this group of players right now in their prime, ready to go for a long run. The odds of that are zero. So essentially he's saying what we said last week and what Jim just reiterated now at the point that if you're ready to win now, you put all your chips in to win now. You don't say, well, you know, because then at that point you're half in that you're not you're not in it to win it. You're in it to say, let's hope we do really well. But if not, we have a backup plan. Winners don't have backup plans. They have one goal. And trading the draft picks, well, sure, may fuck this team over in six, seven, eight, nine years. But you got to remember in six, seven, eight, nine years, 90% of this team may not even be here. A lot can change. Right. So for... A fan, a fan base, which we're a part of, who bitches and moans for years about Tampa going all in and getting these picks or other teams going all in and getting these picks, seeing, saying, you know what, they're all in, they're doing it. You know, that we want them to do it. And now Dubas actually does it and not just in a way that is UFAs, obviously O'Reilly's a UFA, but a guy like Jake McCabe, who you still have control for two years, that's clean work. It's very yeah, so the, work. the full details of that deal. So the Maple Leafs are acquiring Jake McCabe. Uh, half his salary is being retained by the Chicago Blackhawks. They're also getting Sam Lafferty, who I'm pretty sure scored that like one of the only goals against the Maple Leafs that game uh, last time they were in town. Uh, they're also getting a fifth round pick, two fifth round picks, but I think they're both conditional like, and conditioning on each other. So I think it only ends up being a, like one fifth round pick. And on the other side, to get all of that, the Chicago Blackhawks acquire Joey Anderson, who has been like a serviceable player for the Maple Leafs. He's like a, a 13th forward at best in this roster. So I have yeah. no big loss there, at least in terms of the current roster and how it's made up. Uh, Pavel Gogolev, who I had no idea who that even was. I had to look him up. Uh, he played for the Growlers. Uh, majority of his season been playing for the Growlers this year. And he's been having quite a, a quite a year. He's played well, but at the same time, it's, it's the East Coast League. So that doesn't mean anything. They also uh, are providing a first round pick in 2025 and a second round pick in 2026. Important to note, the first round pick in 2025 is top 10 protected. So even if the Maple Leafs, worst case scenario, end up being a dog shit team by 2025 and they gave up this first round pick to the Blackhawks, they keep it anyways. Mm -hmm. It's not a situation where it's not the Phil Kessel situation. Where the Maple Leafs traded away two first-round picks for Phil Kessel, and then all of a sudden you're looking at Dougie Hamilton and Tyler Sagan being uh, impactful NHL players for the rest of their careers. This 
and actually, and also a, a deal that didn't need to happen. They could have just signed him as an RFA. But I digress. We're not here to um, crucify Brian Burke for his sins. The point is, yes, the Maple Leafs are making the moves that they need to make to not just prove to their fan base, but to show the rest of the league, to show the Eastern Conference, we're not going away either. With Tampa Bay loading up with Tanner Janot, with the Devils loading up with Timo Meyer, are the Leafs just supposed to sit back and say, okay, great. Are they supposed to pull a Boston Bruins right now and do absolutely nothing? Because... <laughs> And, and I, I joke, but who knows by, what happens by Friday. There's still plenty of guys who are available. But right now, with the top teams in the East, if you're looking at your Carolinas, your uh, New Jersey, Rangers. Toronto, the Rangers, like everyone is making, I guess Carolina not so much, but like everyone's making their moves and starting to align to where they need to be or the team that they want by the time the playoffs start. And the Bruins haven't done anything. But, I mean, to be fair, there are... By and not, by and large, the best team. In not the NHL true, right though. Now, so. The Bruins got Hathaway and Orloff from the Capitals. Sure. So but they got, you think that's they got, a, a major move? Yeah. Well, Orloff is a pain in the ass to play against, and he'll dump you at, at any sign of, you know, you coming around with the puck. And then Hathaway is is another pest. Like the Bruins got more Bruiny with Hathaway and Orloff, and that's what sucks. Because they got right. two guys that were almost like you look at them, and you're like, yeah, like they were born to be Bruins. But this is the thing: is is that enough for them though? Like going into the playoffs with what well, Tampa I think what they- has and has done, and the Leafs have and what have have done is, do you look at now versus two weeks ago to today? Would you say that Boston is still clearly the favorite of those top three teams? Yeah, I think so. I think everyone was playing catch up anyway. Uh, I don't think I don't think Geno catches Tampa up to Boston. I don't. I think we need to see the full scope of of what Toronto ends up with out of these these guys. I mean, that's a good I, point. So I, they're and they're and they're over the cap too. Toronto's going to be over the cap. Which could a, mean the best thing so, for us. Pure Engvall, fucking gone. <laughs> Justin Haller, Pure Engvall. So, there's a couple ways to take that. So also, there's a minor trade that just happened. It was uh, Riley Stillman going to the Buffalo Sabres uh, for Josh Bloom to the Vancouver Canucks. So whatever. Um, that has no bearing on anybody. But worth mentioning since we're talking about trades. But you bring up an interesting point. Because the Maple Leafs did acquire about $2.4-ish million in terms of cap. But they had a number of... I should say number. They had quite a bit of coverage available to make up in their cap because of the long-term injured reserve situation with Matt Murray. So they still currently have like $2.7 million they can work with. Um, If, and here's the big if, and uh, credit where credit's due. I didn't even think about this until Frank Cervelli tweeted it. So uh, I I know I called him a bit of an asshole last week, and I I questioned whether he was an asshole or not. And I I still don't know the answer to that. Please let me know in the comments. No, I stand by it. Yeah, he's an asshole. Nevertheless, uh, I don't know if he is or he isn't, but um, he did tweet earlier today, like, this is great if the Maple Leafs are expecting that Matt Murray is done for the season. If you keep him on long-term injury reserve for the rest of the year, then yes, you get to continue using this extra $4 million bucks or whatever they had in cap space. If Matt Murray returns at any point this season, that's going to completely change this algorithm, and they are going to have to 
make some difficult decisions with roster players. So that indicates one difficult. of two things. It's not difficult at all. That's Pierre, Eng Pierre Engvall. When, no, seriously, as much as we joke around, but I'm dead serious. Achari coming in was like, okay, guys, you know, if you're a bottom six guy, you should be worried. The problem is, is Kerfoot pr arguably produces more and creates more at the pace they want to play more than what Engvall does. So what happens is, is that probably says, look, guys, if you're not competing, you're not in. Now that they got Lafferty and bringing him in, it pretty much, I feel, had sealed his fate that he's not on this team either by the third, by Friday, or start a playoffs that he's not on this roster. And they'll either wave him and say, look, if someone picks him up, great. If not, they'll bury, you know, half of his salary down in the minors. Um, or it could mean, like you said, Sandine may be on the way out. Well, Justin Hall could be on the way out too. And that too. I, I say that because Justin Hall is about $2 million and they just signed JK. Connor Timmons and they just signed, well, no, Justin Hall is what, 2.3, 2.2? No, he's two even, and he's oh. in UFA next year. Right. They just signed Connor Timmons, and they have Sandine locked up for next year, and they have Lilligren locked up for next year, and they have McCabe locked up, and they have Brody locked up, and they have Geo locked up, and they have Riley locked up. So naturally, it makes sense to move the guy who you don't have locked up and contributes to that, that cap issue. Also, okay, the guy who can't fucking pivot. But that's another story. So, <laughs> okay. yeah, I'm just saying, okay. like, it seems like the writing's on the wall here for some of these guys. And it's like people aren't just going to take these contracts for nothing. And it's tough because it's going to cost them something. Or they pull the Ottawa thing, future considerations like Matt Murray. But the other thing, too, is and I'm, I'm no capologist, but when you send guys up and down to the minors, you <laughs> sorry. I had a bad cough all week. You also accrue cap space. So there's a there's a way to add to the back end of your cap space towards the trade deadline by certain things you do throughout the season. So I don't necessarily know that it's going to be a true X million dollars by Friday. And to be honest, like Frankie V keeps forgetting that a la Kucherov, Murray could just hang out until fucking April 8th or whatever it is. Correct. And then just hop back into the roster. Right. So that's kind of what he was proposing, though. It's like either they expect that whether it's a legitimate long-term injury reserve or not, either they expect he's not coming back at all and they're going to spend right up to whatever money they have left in relief, or he is going to come back at some point and they want him back in at some point. Because honestly, Samson is playing fine, but do you trust Wall to be your backup down the stretch? Maybe. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, you know what they're going to do with Murray, whether they acquire a goaltender or not. If they acquire a goaltender, then Murray isn't playing. If they don't acquire a goaltender, he's either, and they still have cap issues, then he's out till the playoffs. Like, it, it's telegraphed in, in how they go about Friday. Well, they also have eight defensemen on the roster right now. So that's also something you have to consider. There's one, there's, there's definitely one odd man out here at this point. 
with Riley, Brody, Hall, McCabe, Lilligren, Sandine, Timmins, and Giordano. And one of these guys can't. And be here. still, Jordy Ben. Like they have, like in the system, they have like ten NHL defensemen. It's ridiculous. It's also Victor Mete, but I don't think he's coming back at the, any point this year. No. Now, okay. So in saying that, your defensive pairings. Say if the playoffs were to start tomorrow with everything right. they have, what do your defensive pairings look like? Riley me, Brody. Yeah. Okay. Go yeah. Riley Brody. Okay. I think for sure. Um, I like. Giordano and Lilgren together. I'm not saying they're second pairing. I'm just saying they are a pairing. And I guess you go McCabe Sandine. See, to me, it's as of right now, if if it was up to me, it would be Riley and potentially McCabe on the right, Brody Geo, and then your bottom pairing is Sandine and probably Lilligren. I, I don't see a combination that is your best foot forward with Hull in it. A lot of people would say, well, your second pairing could be Geo Hall or Brody Hall to be that safety net for him. But I, I will say this. It's a better problem to have this year than what they had last year, where you're grasping at straws for guys to come in and play. The fact that if someone gets hurt, you have Jordy Ben. Someone gets hurt, you have... or whoever you know especially in the playoffs that when you have functional guys that you can come in and feel comfortable with how they played throughout the season or historically that you know you would much rather that than to have a solid top six and then have no fucking clue who's going to be coming in if one of those guys gets hurt the marty marinchin days are over and that's a good thing right right what a pull so, so I, I think, think there's, it's, I, I think yeah, it's fair it was, for, that we're all projecting this as the seventh and eighth defensemen right now are Timmins and Hall. Yeah, I, 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 for some reason though, I do think Sandine's on the outside looking in on that playoff roster. I think the past two years, with how he performed in the playoffs, specifically last year, and how he got pushed off way too easy of the puck against Tampa. I would not be surprised if they're like, look, yes, we get it. But it's again, like we had said a couple of weeks ago, it's not about feelings anymore. It's not about being like, hey, you've been really good for us. So we're going to reward you by, you know, you're, you've earned your spot on this team. It's we need to do the ice, the best roster to get us there and get the win. And if they genuinely don't feel that, they don't feel it. Let me throw this situation at you. I think we're all under the assumption that maybe a defenseman needs to be moved. Whether that's dropped to the Marlies, I don't know how you could, uh, any of these guys, you have to put on waivers, which wouldn't happen. I mean, they could happen, but they would get claims. It'd be stupid. Or someone's getting traded. Or they carry on with eight defensemen and they just carry one less forward. I don't see that happening. What do you think the return is for Justin Hall? If you get a bag of pucks or future considerations you're happy yeah it's futures at this point because these ufa and the and and the leafs cap situation i was like the 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 leafs cap situation to the other teams they know that they have to move the player it's so you're you're either sending him with something somewhere or it's futures there, there won't be a return okay what about what about sandine do you consider the idea of saying 
Hall is our seventh defenseman. Hopefully don't need him. But if we do, okay, he swaps in for Timmins. Or obviously if someone gets hurt, and God forbid no one does. And with Sandine, you can recuperate a second round pick. And you, you, you shore up a $1.4 million off the books. And, and I say Sandine because he's one year left. So he's under contract next year for 1.4, but he's an RFA after that. So there's an inherent value to a team that is looking to build for the future in a guy like Sandine. Whereas the Maple Leafs going forward, you have Morgan Riley for the next I don't know, five years or whatever it is. TJ Brody's under contract next year. McCabe's under contract for the next two years. Lilligren's under contract next year. Simmons or <laughs> Simmons. <laughs> Timmons just signed an extension. So he's under on the books for two more years. And you have Geo next year as well. So you have a six. Sandine, I mean, I I, I mean Lilligren, I guess, is the exact same financial situation. It's 1.4. Although out of the two, I would keep Lilligren over Sandine. But he's played awesome this season. I guess my point that I'm trying to get to is do you see a possibility here where Sandine is the one moved because he's the one that's actually going to get you value from a team that is looking to acquire right now? I mean, it's the same argument I had, not to bring it up, but Nylander at the beginning of the year, right? Like, he, he's going to bring you back something. So is he the person that's the odd man out? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there, there might be a hockey trade out there to be made with Justin Hall. I don't, again, I don't know what you do. Is it... Again, they would have to. Like, it would have to be either money in, money out, or like a million dollars deficit. Like you would have to find something that's in the million dollar range, or something like somebody who's on a cheap, cheap, cheap contract that makes sense for this team. And I don't know. Like it's not going to be like Hall and you know Kerfoot for James Van Riemsdyk. Like that's not going to work. What if right? But that makes sense for the Maple Leafs, though. But I'm talking about the team that's acquiring Justin Hall. What makes sense for them? Well, they could see the ability to get a player to play on their roster right now. So if you're a team that's outside of the playoffs, you get a guy that you can bring in, negotiate with, you know, get get the early look at. Because you, regardless of how we feel, we obviously see a lot of his negatives that are embellished in our eyes a lot because we're so invested another team may just look at that as par for the course and not as egregious as we see it so hypothetically i mean you could do hall and maybe another late round pick to vancouver hypothetically for luke shen and you're shedding 1.2 million off of your books while getting a defenseman that you need on the way back now well, the price for Shen is going to be much higher because and Vancouver knows that. But but, but then you still have solve the D situation, yeah. Right, but just because you have them doesn't mean you're necessarily in the issue. It just means certain guys are sitting. Right? Shen's a UFA. So you're getting a guy that is going to be for the playoffs and it solves your problem that then going into next season you're at seven or six defensemen like you had said, right? That you get a guy that you insert now that is more tailored to what you're looking to accomplish in the playoffs than Hull is. Um, and it kind of, I honestly feel like it rounds out a little better because then you could play Geo and Lilligren as your number two pair, or you could as your bottom three pair, and then you could have Shen and Brody as your number two, 
and Riley and McCabe is your number one, or you have Riley and Brody as your number one and McCabe Shen is your number two. If McCabe Shen is your number two pairing defensive setup, that's mean. Like those are guys that will absolutely feed a line if they can in the playoffs. But the other thing too is Hall's a right shot defenseman and they've pimped out the fact that right shot defensemen are so hard to come by and so coveted in this league that you might get away with a late round pick as a return. Yeah. Which isn't too bad either. So I there's there's definitely more coming and we don't I guess we don't need to to belabor that stuff, but um in terms of okay. of wild move, I, I don't think there's much more on the thing. I think this is the Leaf roster we're going to see into the playoffs. If there's anything else the Maple Leafs add, I think they might add one more forward if they really want to toughen up on the bottom six. And maybe Hall's the guy that they offer to get something like that. Um, I, I could still see it also being Kerfoot just to make the money work. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Kerfoot someone may be that, a victim of his contract and not so much of his play. Exactly. Well, and his role, and someone, right? Because, I mean, you look at that bottom six. I mean, I don't know that he fits outside of a third-line center, and I think their center depth now is so incredible. Um, I just He doesn't feel like your prototypical like bottom six winger. And I think Dubas was the one who said something like, they're got, they got these guys because they wanted to compete. I think he said that today. They wanted compete level in their players, and they needed to be better at that. So to Dustin's point, I think if you're going to – like they're starting to swap guys out that are meant to do that compete thing. And I think that this is the stuff we've kind of been saying all along. So I think you're right. I think if they do another thing, it's going to be another highly competitive pain in the ass forward. Um, a Sam Bennett would be – Wonderful. Yeah. Sam Sam Bennett's the dream uh, forward to go into the playoffs. That like I would want the Leafs to get. This is this is what I'm thinking. And you know, just throwing an idea out there. If it's let's say it's Kerfoot that goes, and even and hmm, hmm, I almost want this player to be better than he actually is. So I can say I'll give you Hall and Kerfoot. Um, because I want to make the money work. But what if it's going to Arizona and coming back from Arizona is Andrew Ladd, who is obviously never going to play another game in his life, but the Maple Leafs can pay his $5 million salary and drop him on injury reserve. And that will relieve the Coyotes who are in incredible financial issues right now. And also they throw in a guy who they're not really even playing anymore. He's got eight minutes a night pretty much. Is Zach Cassian. So I know he's not the player he used to be. I'm not, I'm not suggesting he's anywhere near the player he used to be. But if you drop him on the fourth line and let him just punch dudes in the face, and that's, and you don't even necessarily have to use him like in later rounds of the playoffs. Like If you just want the meanest dudes to play against Tampa and Boston in the first couple of rounds, that's it. That's the cup. Not a bad. Right? Yeah. And then as you move into the next few rounds when you're playing some, some other teams, like maybe the Rangers in the conference final, assuming all things go well and he gets the conference final. Then you can change your roster around to be a more highly skilled team. But if you want a big bruising team to get to the first couple of rounds, I think there's a way to get a guy like Zach Cassian on this team because he's $3.2 million this year and next year. So obviously, I think the Coyotes might be looking to get out from under that. 
And if you also offer them and say, hey, we'll take Andrew Ladd off you as well. Yeah, because that's probably real money because they probably don't have the capital to do the front end signing bonus thing the Leafs to do, which helps them when they trade these guys, right? Like a guy like Kerfoot, the, the, other, the other benefit too is that Kerfoot is owed very little real money for the end of this year. I think it's like now, like prorated, it's probably like a couple hundred grand he's actually owed in, in real money. Yeah. Um, just going back to what you said about Dubas, I found the quote. Um, Jim he said, there's no reason for us to really beat around it. We've wanted to become more competitive. Um, sometime or something we feel like in those big moments we've needed and maybe we've lacked a little bit of to just kind of push us over the top. We know we have guys that can score from anywhere at the top of the lineup. It's finding guys that can chip in more from the bottom. And we think Nolan Sam can do that. Yeah, because if you look at the types of players Nolan Sam are, and Noel did it the other night, he scored yeah. the exact type of goal that the Leafs can't score. Because what happens in the playoffs is everything becomes compressed right and if you like scoring from the outside is is not always an option in the playoffs uh, flying down the way the wing and, and and popping a toe drag is is generally not always available in the playoffs so you need guys who are going to play in tight in the shitty areas and o'reilly i mean is prototypical for that so is achari and lafferty and, and when you talk about those moments you're talking about the you're going into the third, you know, there's two minutes left in the second, you're going to the third down a goal, and a guy pots one. Or a guy pots one to, to take you to the lead to go in the third. Or those last six minutes to tie the game. Like It's those kinds of goals. And the Leafs didn't have players that could do that. And they now have at least three. And yeah. that's, that's kind of a tide turner. I mean, if you think about how they play against other teams, you know, Vasilevsky when the Leafs play Tampa is going to have to deal with Ryan O'Reilly's big ass. He's going to have to deal with Nola Chari's big ass. And he's going to have to deal with Sam Lafferty, who doesn't have a big ass. I say the other two have big asses because they're wide dudes. Like Achari is like five ten and like 220 pounds. He's built like me, right? <laughs> Huge ass left to right. Um, and then not only that, you're gonna have to deal with Michael Bunting being a piss off, right? William Nylander, I mean, although he's not the toughest dude in the world, does score a lot of goals <laughs> in tight. Jesus, this cough. It's not like I'm laughing. But so they're, they've all of a sudden turned themselves into a much more balanced team in terms of their play and scoring opportunities. If you want guys with a huge ass, you're talking my neighbor, the accountant, got a huge ass. <laughs> Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. We were talking Happy earlier Gilmore. before this, uh, <laughs> before the podcast started of like what soundboard we should find. And I suggested Happy Gilmore, and I couldn't think of one like immediately that would have been a funny, uh, applicable thing to say. <laughs> but here we are talking about uh, golfers with huge asses. There you go. Um, so I will say this: it just feels like where before all these trades came in, you had your top two lines that you expect to be high octane, push the pace, generate, score, really hem teams in, which they have, and we've seen it. Um, and then the bottom two lines were there as a way to just buy time for them to rest. And then you get that top two lines out there. Now it feels like it's more of like, okay, your top two lines hem the teams in a lot of offensive pressure while the, then the bottom two lines are going to come in and do a lot of the physical pressure to keep that puck down there. And yes, getting the top guys rest, but more capable in the sense of that it's not just go out there and just manage they'll go out there and they will 
lean on guys. They will push guys. They will wear guys down. Yeah. And then the big guys jump on again. So I just think it's a more wave after wave type lineup with these guys in there than it is before. And I, I'm excited to see how it's going to go. It'll be exciting. What I'm really excited for. And like, could you, so you're Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Char, your first game is against Saturday night, Toronto, Montreal, right? The hype. Now for McCabe and Lafferty, your first game is Toronto, Edmonton, Matthews, McDavid in the first meeting. Like, that's just cool, man. It's like all of a sudden you have graduated to playing the National Hockey League. <laughs> right. Well, for you know, it's, it's, it's a different vibe, right? Like it is. if you if you talk to a baseball player and like all of a sudden you're on the New York Yankees and you're playing the Boston Red Sox, that's a completely different matchup than if you're the Tampa Bay Rays playing the fucking Arizona Diamondbacks. Right. It's a completely different atmosphere. We're, and also, too, those guys were in Chicago in the lower swing years. Yeah. Right? McCabe hasn't played in the playoffs yet. And, you know, you're coming into not just a good team that's going to make the playoffs, but one of the top three, four, five favorites going into the playoffs. And not just that, but really seems like they're all in, truly all in for the first time. More than just, hey, they're doing well. We're going to try and go acquire one piece to really push. Dubas has done everything possible. This one's fully on the players this time. Like you can't look at Dubas if they aren't successful and say, well, you know, he deserves to go. This one's completely on them. He's gotten literally everything they've needed so far and has said he's still not done. So I think coming into that, you got to feel some kind of excitement like Toronto, you know, all of this change, a lot of expectation, but a lot of hype and justified hype. Um, it's, yeah, it's cool. Like, Even it's a my, weird feeling. I don't know. Like, I've seen these trades. I got a weird feeling more than I did previous years where we got Giordano and Felino, where they're older guys, but still serviceable. You look at this. They got guys, O'Reilly, yeah, he's a little older, but then they got younger guys as well with McCabe and Lafferty that are, you know, right in their prime that you just, I don't know. You get more excited about it to me. You reminded me of something. You said that the Leafs are playing Edmonton. Can we talk for the fact that Edmonton has done fuck all? Like, <laughs> Ken, Holland has literally, Ken Holland has literally done nothing to support that team in this, how, this round. How do you not look, be McDavid and Drysaddle and look at that and not just get insulted or pissed off? But it's the it, maybe maybe Brandon Pridham is the MVP of the league because the the Oilers have all these cap problems that they can't and it seems to be what's holding them back from you know the, I mean I get the two big fish for them I guess are either Chikrin or Carlson. or Carlson so which Greer said he expects Carlson to be here for the rest of the year whether that's you know posturing to tell Edmonton look if you don't give us what we want he'll stay see, and we're fine with see it. in the off season yeah right um you're right though it's to me that says it's a lot of what is around supporting the Leafs where that not a lot of other teams have right to to figure out a lot of those nooks and crannies of the cap um which then obviously goes back to what we spoke about before is yeah you may have a cap for the team but you don't have a cap for everything else around the team um so they can just throw money at the smartest people to help them figure out these problems but in your guys' mind, do you think if, if the Oilers do nothing and 
just kind of say, you know, we're happy with our team, which they shouldn't be because they're not firmly in a spot. They could go through a, a bad two weeks and be out of it. Do you think that says at the end of their contracts to McDavid and Drysaddle, like we're out of here? I don't know because McDavid and Dry, or at least McDavid, has another three years left on his deal. So I think twenty-seven, like twenty-seven. Oh yeah, sorry, the year twenty twenty-seven. Yes, sorry, I thought you meant like he'll be twenty-seven. Like no, he's twenty-seven next year, which is crazy to think about that. Connor McDavid is going to be twenty-seven years old next year. Right. So, but that's not a lot of time. That's not. No. Yeah, that's my point. Like he only has like ten years left in the league, maybe. Yeah. And they're just wasting it away. You know, if you're if you're Ken Holland, you should be throwing everything at the at the wall to get whatever help one they need and two he asks for. I think the way they're going to frame this to their fan base, if they don't do anything, and obviously a lot can change between now and uh, Friday, but if they don't do anything, I think the way they will frame it is the acquisition at the trade deadline for them is going to be Evander Kane, who's been hurt all year and came back for a, a brief period of time, but went you know back in injured reserve again. So or actually, I don't think he's officially on long-term injured reserve, but he's currently injured. Um, anyways, I think that is the way they'll explain it is like, hey, we're not a full strength right now. When Evander Kane is back, it's going to be the biggest acquisition we could have made is getting a healthy Evander Kane. That's, I don't know. I know it's a cop-out answer for the Oilers, but I think that's what they will end up saying so they're gonna have to when say. we hit Friday at three o'clock. That's what they're gonna have so to say. Gonna, yeah. They're gonna have a fan base but, who's gonna sit there and go, and that we watched every single team in the East do their thing. And the West is wide open. Wide open. Wide open. So you know like if you're well, Edmonton now I know, I know, like we're we've been talking about a lot of the trades and stuff like that going on, but it's just kind of a thought that I had as we were just talking about this. If you're Edmonton, how comfortable do you feel with your decor? I mean, I've never felt comfortable with that decor <laughs> with Cody CC back there and Tyson Berry back there. Right, Jim. How comfortable do you, if you're Edmonton and uh, as an Edmonton Oilers fan, not saying you are, but if you were, how, you look at that decor going into the playoffs. How good do you feel? About as comfortable as I've been with Toronto the past three years. Okay. Saying that too. Now you're starting the playoffs. How comfortable do you feel with Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner as you're starting two goalies? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And now yeah. saying that outside of four guys in your forward core, how good do you feel about the other eight forwards if you're Edmonton, specifically your bottom six? Yeah, it's tough, right? It's tough. I think there's there. a lot more work that needs to be done in Edmonton that can be solved in this trade deadline. That's my point is everyone's so zeroed in on Eric Carlson being like, that's what we need and that's what they should go get and whatever. But if you look at it to truly compete, to be not just make the playoffs and see what happens, to truly go in there and do damage, they need a lot more work done like the Leafs did, but they've done some clean work. They address the defensive issue, not just getting rentals they addressed their bottom six very thoroughly and they addressed even arguably their top six which they didn't necessarily really need to do but they did and they did that with o'reilly because he can either be top six or he could be really really high end as part of your bottom six if you even look to this past offseason they addressed their goaltending issues as well by 
by subtraction, essentially, and also by subtraction of cash. Yeah. So I just, you look at that and that that's my point is that there's way more that that team needs than just Eric Carlson or Jacob Chikrin. You could argue they realistically need both. I would, I would definitely agree. I think there's a very long shopping list for the Edmonton Oilers and there's going to be a lot of shopping happening up until the trade deadline, which is uh, Friday at three o'clock for the NHL trade deadline. But if you have some shopping to do, I recommend you check out our sponsor, Now Your Treasures, because this episode is brought to you by Now Your Treasures. Now Your Treasures are purveyors of licensed fine art prints for movies, comics, TV, and video games. Sourced from galleries in the US and UK, which include artists from all over the world. Visit Now Your Treasures on Instagram and send a DM 43.6 to receive 43% off any order. All orders are shipped with tracking and complimentary insurance. View the entire ever-expanding inventory at nowyourtreasures.ca or .com. That's N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-S dot C-A or .com. And remember, head over to Now Your Treasures on Instagram and send them a DM 43% off to receive 43% off your next order. Now, we are also in the middle of Pedro Pascal season, but also in the middle of spring training season for the major league baseball the major league baseball you get what i'm trying to say the toronto blue jays is kind of what i was going for there is the team that we care about in major league baseball although the world baseball classic is coming up too and i think that's going to dominate some of the conversation at least on this show for the next couple weeks so look out for that but this past weekend the blue jays did play a couple of games on television now the first game was uh just picking up the pittsburgh broadcast because rogers communications is too uh, damn cheap to send the broadcast team to spring training but nevertheless we did get to see the toronto blue jays play on saturday and sunday and i think the game was televised today this afternoon but i didn't see it there's a couple major things that have been happening not just with the blue jays but all around major league baseball as they're implementing these new rules that we've only heard about in the offseason and i know they've been testing it out in minor league baseball and there's been a lot of data to support the things that they are starting to implement so the first one which i think everyone is talking about the most is the pitch clock you have essentially 20 seconds to make a pitch the batter has to be in the box within the last eight seconds and we've seen pitchers ex- go past the time limit and they are automatically charged the ball and we've seen some batters not in the batter's box at the right time and they are automatically charged to strike it is intended to keep the games quicker or keep the game make the games quicker and to keep the pace of play up and i am all for this i know there are some pitchers who are going to hate this Gosman. but <laughs> i i think gossman's gonna love it uh actually no gossman's gonna hate it because yeah. his stupid little uh foot thing that he does he's going to be called for box like crazy what about but was it johnny cueto oh god could you imagine johnny cueto there'd be so many like that guy does a, that guy has an entire voodoo routine before pitching <laughs> <laughs> who's the guy that um right now i forget where he pitched he's got like the dreads and he does this long ass fucking delivery where the delivery prep itself it's like 15 seconds I mean, Johnny Cueto does a dress, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, no, but Johnny Cueto doesn't play really anymore. It's um, I forget who it is. It's Fernandez or Martinez or something. 
I don't know. I watched him pitch against the Jays a couple times last year, and I was just so fucking annoyed. I'm trying to and not I, also in addition to the pitch clock. There's also the bigger bases, and this was a minor one that I thought was like, okay, cool. Like it's going to increase player safety. You're not going to have as many collisions at bases anymore, and it theoretically should. In- Increase steals because you have more surface area to steal the bag and they are closer together. But something I didn't expect and it, I didn't even think about it until like I saw the play happen. It was a sack fly situation where the ball was not deep at all. But I was thinking, send him. Who cares? Let's see what happens. And they sent him and he scored. And I think you're going to see a lot more sack flies work out from a shorter distance than you normally did. Because you're just that much closer to home plate standing on third base than he used to be. And I don't know if that was ever factored into the decision that was made to increase the size of the bases, but another way that scoring should increase and the games will get shorter and they'll be more exciting. All this sounds fantastic to me. There's nothing so far that I've seen in spring training baseball that's made me say, ooh, I don't like that. Yeah, I think the... uh... I think baseball does is the one sport that suffers from the it's too long problem because football, while the games are long, there's it's exciting. There's something happening all the time where hockey games can run long. If there's too many whistles and basketball, the final 30 seconds it, in of itself is like an hour. But the, the, the pace of the game itself lends to excitement. So you kind of put up with it. Baseball just seems like I always say it's the perfect background sport to have on you don't really have to sit there and pay attention to the whole thing you can do other shit have it on in the background whether on the radio or tv and just kind of listen in as you're doing other shit um the pitch clock is one i personally wanted for a very long time i think it's one that if you're a pitcher that needs 35 seconds to set up and deliver that's a you problem and not one that i think should be granted just because that's you right um the bigger bases i never really thought about it it'll be interesting to see how many more infield singles there are compared to the to last year to say to really get an idea of how impactful it is but yeah i don't see any real negative to any of these rule changes i know jim and me used to talk about all the time being like some guys just like I said, take like Johnny Cueto taking forever to just get the ball to the fucking plate. You know, it's funny. I worry about these things, like how long it takes a pitcher to deliver a pitch when I'm watching like regular baseball. But then I've thought about, you know, the dude on the Red Sox this past week. It was bottom of the ninth tie game. He took a timing violation for a third strike. And I think about those moments on TV when it's the playoffs and the crowd's like ramping up and it's like this duel between the pitcher and the batter and there's that there's that calm between deliveries where it is elongated but it, it creates tension and I feel like we're going to sacrifice those moments of tension in the playoffs and I'm not saying I don't disagree with the pitch clock I'm saying I, I wonder how much I'm going to miss those Tentious moments in the playoffs like you know the ones i'm talking about right where it's like a full count everyone's on their feet the pitcher's taking deep breaths the batter keeps like swinging the bat around his wrists like 
I, I'm I'm nervous to lose that. So I don't. I like the pitch clock as it stands now. I think it needs to be four seconds longer. I know that sounds terrible, but I think it matches a basketball <laughs> shooting <laughs> a shot clock. Shot clock. Um, <clears throat> and let's not also forget what makes this possible is the move to pitch comms. The, the pitch comms is what allows the pitch clock to work because you're not throwing down 56 signs to yeah. get anywhere. You're just radioing the pitch to the pitcher. Um there, there's that the bases thing yeah I think you're right it'd be, it'd be interesting to see the data on like how many infield singles like you said how many sacks <clears throat> and stuff like that the shift although the shift's not really gone you just have to wait until a certain time what's the time you have to wait until you can move I just thought it was I thought it was <clears throat> on before pitch delivery there has to be two on each side two infielders on each side of the base yeah I think once yeah. the pitch is on its way to the plate you can move but you're putting yourself in a tough position because you need to be able to react off the bat. Could you imagine right? you're going to shift? Like you're going to go the wrong way. Like, the second, yeah, the second the pitch goes, I'm running to the right side of second. And then the guy's kind of feels it and he pushes it out left. It actually yeah. happened in the Jays game. I don't remember which infielder it was. Um, I don't know if you remember it was the Yankees game or the, the Pirates game, but th- their shortstop was lined up near the second base bag. And as the pitch was coming, he started to move to his left towards second base because it was, I think it was Bijou who was up. And then Bijou just put the ball exactly where he was standing. So had he not moved and decided to shift during the pitch, he would just easily pick up the ball and throw it to first to get Bijou out. So yeah. I think guys are going to overthink this. There's teams who are absolutely going to overthink this and try to like beat, get around the shift and all this stuff. But I think they're probably better off just playing it straight up. And you guys mentioned this already. Like they, the pitchers get. Um, longer to pitch if there's runners on base too yeah it's an extra yeah, five seconds or something seconds. like that yeah, 25 <clears throat> and 10 so 15 with no one on base 25 with someone on base with guys on base right so that's a lot of time yeah so we'll see i mean it's cut down the games an average of what half an hour 40 minutes a game right now which is insane yeah. um and the, for some of the games I've watched, the guys are just like r- ripping them in there. The pitch goes back to the pitcher. He sets and he throws. Like, I, like some of those guys are just, you know, who's the guy in the Jays that was doing quick work like that last year? There was just like pitch comes, pitch goes, pitch comes, pitch goes. I forget who it was. Someone was doing that either last year or a couple of years ago. Maybe it was Barrios. Um, yeah, it might have been. I just remember games when Mark Burley pitched. You'd be out of there an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, early in Halliday were like that, where it was just yeah, quick work, nonstop, coming at you. So I don't know, I don't know. And now the the runner on second is permanent in extra innings, so that's not going anywhere. Um, oh, I have to restart Windows. <laughs> not now though. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I don't know. I, I I just don't know. I don't know how the pitch. Again, I don't think the bases are of consequential to anything I'm missing from the game. Like, I don't think anything takes away from anything the game currently has, except that one gap of those moments in like a World Series or a playoffs where it's you're building that anticipation. And I, I'm kind of bummed that that might go away. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping I don't notice it. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm overthinking it. It could also be like maybe they ease up on the playoffs. Maybe although the clock is right there, like that's the one thing I was shocked of is how visible the clock is behind home plate. 
Like it's on either side and it's big as fuck. (laughs) Yeah, it was in the Pirates home ballpark. When the Jays are playing at TD Park, I didn't see it on the broadcast. It must be somewhere else in the building that I'm sure the pitcher and catcher and batter can all see. But like on that one hard cam shot, I didn't see it at all. So it'll be interesting to see what it looks like throughout Major League Baseball at every ballpark. If they're all going to adopt that idea of having that clock right there, or maybe it'll be like a digital thing that is put on the score bug. I don't know. Just like it would be in basketball where the shot clock is always visible on the score bug. The other thing I saw like a lot on social media when people talking about the pitch clock is some people being like, this is great. And other people being like, if you didn't enjoy the game as it was, you're not a ba-. like baseball has a lot of yeah. old timey gatekeeper fans. Yeah. Right. I, I or, noticed that too. Like Twitter is an absolute, like what it always is. But for this, it was, you're not a real fan. If you endorse the pitch clock and the bigger bases or, do you know what I do you know what I mean? It's just like boys. Boys. It's for the better this is, the like, this is one of those situations where like this is a really great segue to the next topic. But I do before we get off the Blue Jays want to at least acknowledge how awesome Addison Bar- uh, Barger looks right now. I th- I think I said that before the show. I had no idea who this dude was. Neither. And he, like watching him, he's fucking jacked. Dude has arms the size of your legs. All right. He was, he was drafted in 2018 by the Blue Jays in the sixth round. He's out of uh, King Tampa High School, wherever the hell that is. Probably um, Tampa. <laughs> probably. <laughs> he did play, like, he played in single A, double A, and triple A all last year. Like, he's always spent time in all systems of their minor league affiliates he, for uh, Vancouver, New Hampshire, and Buffalo. If you look at his stats just through all through minor league baseball over that season, the guy hit 266. You know, like it looked, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> he hit in the mid 20s in home runs. I think it was 20, 26 home runs. Well, the guy and he can hit. Apparently, he can hit for power, and he's got real strong acumen at third or short. And mo- some people believe he can play second, which well, would be a huge stat nut too. Like he's just one of those dude just consumes the game which would be incredible if if they could find a way to move this guy to second because i feel like that's where they're lacking a little bit right now but i do you think he's playing to make the team i think that's what he's trying to do that's what he should be trying to do no we'll see if that actually happens i don't think he will but there is a spot like where if you look at that infield and you would say okay merrifield's your starting second baseman Hypothetically, let's just say it's Guerrero, Merrifield, Bichette, and Chapman. There is that extra infielder who we assume would be Espinal and Biggio, but Biggio is not a sure thing, and Barger also hits left. So they were saying left with power. So that's what Jeff Blair was saying this morning. He said, "Do you think he's playing to be on the roster or first call up?" I think you always go in there trying to play the roster, but then you put your best foot forward to say, hey, look, you know, with Espinal and Merrifield, I think it was for second base, you know, maybe you're, maybe they bring you as a bench utility guy to be able to platoon at different positions, but you're, you're there kind of, you know, I think, why not? 
if you if you have the mindset to be like, hey, I'm coming in here to be like your first option to call up, I think you're already kind of going in a step behind. The the intention should always be going in there, especially as a professional athlete, to say, I want to go in and show them that regardless of who you already have here, I should be the starting second baseman or whatever position you. And yesterday during play. yesterday's uh, spring training game, some 13-year-old jacked a like, two-run shot or a three-run shot. Uh, this kid was up to bat. I'm like, this kid looks like he's 11 years old. And they're <laughs> like, so-and-so, I forget his name, is so-and-so, earlier in the game, jacked a three-run homer. I'm like, this guy's 10. There's no way <laughs> this kid jacked a, a three-run homer against Still. major league pitching. And he, he was, I, I, I shit you not. I got to find this kid. I don't know who he is. <laughs> But man, some of these kids come in there young. I gotta look for it. Like, legitimately, how old was he? Like nineteen? I don't know. He looked ten. <laughs> well, that's the great thing about spring training. You do get to see a lot of players that you sometimes only heard of, or in the case of Barger, guys we've never even heard of, who get the chance to play on a national scale. Really, like just for the Toronto Blue Jays, that. Are, the games are broadcast on Sportsnet all across the country. Like there are a ton of people who are watching these games who will never see them previously before. And I know Otto Lopez is going to represent Canada in the World Baseball Classic, and that's a guy that everyone we've had their eye on for a couple of years now. And uh, or Elvis Martinez, who is been touted as like the next guy up. I think if you look at all the Blue Jays prospects and who's the next one to arrive in the majors, uh, Lopez and uh, Martinez are the two guys everyone's been talking about. But I mean, Addison Barger's making a, a case to be the next dude. Martinez looked good it was, so far. It was, LJ, it was LJ Talley, and he's 25. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know who you're talking about now. I do remember that name. But I did not think he looked 11 but if you say so. Look it up. Look it up from the, the, the game yesterday. Watch the highlights of that, that at-bat and tell me he doesn't look six years old. All right, well, I'll, we'll put a pin in that and we'll loop back to it next week and we'll all decide whether we think this man is uh, in disguise, standing on someone's shoulders, or James is just crazy. <laughs> Ladybugs? Did you just remember that flick? Ron I do remember Ladybugs. Yeah. That was a good movie. Oh, it was Ron Ron did not fly in, uh, <laughs> in 2023, where it's like, a oh, we got things... this shitty girls soccer team. Let's get a boy on the team Dude. to make it better. <laughs> Dude, a lot of things went wrong. Dude, that's literally what happened in in the was recently in uh, there's a, I don't know if it was women's basketball or something or or was it soccer I forget but they basically said they weren't going to play because the other team had a transgender individual on it that was a dude that was now a woman and they like they said we're not playing they forfeit the game because they they thought it was an unfair advantage. Well, that's. Uh I think is going to be a very hot topic in sports over the next decade or so as um, the world becomes a bit more accepting of trans individuals. And oh, it was I the Vermont, no Vermont Christian Vermont Christian school, obviously, uh, forfeits well, yeah. <laughs> girls basketball tournament because opponent has transgender athlete. But like at the same time, it's also a Christian school. So I feel like there's something there as well. <clears throat> right. Like our, I'm 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 happy to have the debate if it's not centered around like as a, as someone who's traditionally religious themselves like not hardcore like I don't I don't like hang out in churches but like 
I mean, who hangs out in churches? Um, hey, Jesus. I like your sponsors. <laughs> Ooh, that was a bad Jesus. one. He hangs out. Um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Matt's dead. Um, the I'm happy to have the debate if it doesn't center around that, because I do think there's a discussion to be had about the molecular advantage of one biological being sometimes over another. I mean, there's I, a reason. I know, I, I know exactly where you're going with that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you are right, and there is a conversation to be had. Like, there's a pathway well, out of this, and there's a right way to do it. I'm just saying I don't know what it is yet, because at the yeah. end of the day, I don't feel like I should be boxing <laughs> against, against That's, women. Yeah. That's always my argument. It's like, well, would you, would you put Conor McGregor against Ronda Rousey? Right. Right? It's like, mm, it's like same weight class. Right? Yeah, just switch a few parts on Rousey and give her some testosterone. You still think it's fair? Like, I don't... And I'm not downplaying, like, transgender culture or, or anyone who thinks that. I'm just saying, when it comes down to it, in the term of sport... And now we're off on the weird tangent. But when you talk about these things in terms of sport, that's what it is. You've replaced a couple of biological parts and you've given someone some hormones... You know, like when you when you compare yeah. apples to apples about the two athletes in the in the arena or the competitive landscape, that's the difference. And when you say ladybugs, like it's the same thing, kinda. And I don't it, know. It is, it is similar. Yes, it's very similar. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's touchy, but it's it. I I wanted to bring it up actually, you know, as a topic for this episode because it was such a big news thing in sports that they forfeited a tournament because they didn't think they were on a level playing field. So. I don't know, man. I mean, there's and there's always that story of that that transgender wrestler. I think she's like the woman used to be a dude, just tearing through the competition. There's like an MMA or like Brazilian jiu-jitsu or something, just destroying oh, professional wrestling. And then okay, never mind. Yes, no, it happens in wrestling. Nicole Bass, it happens all the time. Um, but <laughs> I don't know about Nicole Bass, but okay, sure. But I don't know. <clears throat> it's um. It's it's one of those things that I think they're going to have to figure out what the right thing to do here is because that that's yeah that's the tricky part. So there's so much of it that you would look at from a, a humanitarian perspective or as like as a as a decent person, you would say yeah sure like if someone identifies as a woman great that's cool you do your life man like I don't give a fuck what you do. But then when it comes to like competing in sport, there obviously is physiological differences that you would have been born with now obviously you have beyond identities yeah beyond right, identity. yeah like this is this is beyond how you identify this is how you are physiologically made up and the reason why um traditionally men and women have been divided in sports is because generally speaking men are bigger and stronger and faster like that's just physiologically true now if you were to take someone who was has those characteristics, those male characteristics, and put them in a a female sport, it could be an unfair advantage to that person. Um, is that the way society is going? Maybe. And am, am I going to judge anyone for anything? Nope. <laughs> I am uh, not getting in that one. I'm yeah. just saying I can see that there would be yeah. a reason for some present for that vote. Here's. <laughs> 
present. I'm not voting. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here. Just here for, this, uh, here for the discussion. I have, I have no opinion one or the other. I'm just, I'm just saying. I see what y'all are saying. Yeah. So, I, I had a okay, and I know this is probably like an easy way to kind of go about this, and maybe a bit of a cop out. But I had two different mindsets before, and it's probably obvious what my mindsets were before my kid and after my kid. And before I was always just like, you know what, there's got to be a way to figure this out, you know, whatever. But then the more you think about it and then the more you start thinking about level playing field is it's not necessarily doable, not in the sense of if there's a man who then is transgender identifies after as a woman playing a game you know, like Jim said, boxing against a group of, you know, traditionally identified female individuals, it's not fair. It's just genetically, it's just not possible to be fair. You can't remove the testosterone from your body. Well, so, and that's where the gray area comes in, right? And this is such a larger topic than we have time for right now. I also think maybe right. we're not, like, as much as we can have opinions on it, we're exactly. probably also not definitely the smartest not when it comes educated. to it scientifically. No. I think yeah, I was just exactly well, when you mentioned ladybugs, I, it reminded me of them pulling out of that tournament. And I think it's just such an interesting discussion when you talk when you think about like I said, you know, what is right. And I don't know that there's anything in a world where I think a lot of people are looking for objective truth, I'm not sure there is one here. I don't know, you know. Again, I think I would sit right next to Dustin and be like, "Yeah, no, no, I'm not voting. <laughs> I'm not because I don't. Yep. I, I'm I'm very well aware and self aware to say I don't have the answer. Um, yeah. and it's I unfortunate like I because opinion. because I think these people do deserve to compete in the things that yes. they love. Like they absolutely do. It's just how is it? You know, I don't know. It's it. I can't. I can't. Like, I just I don't I have the answer. I think I think that's the point is that it's not that we say it should or shouldn't be. It's there's people out there that are, are you know, not arguably that are much smarter than us that can find a way forward for everyone to be included and be able to compete while not having a gross advantage over. Like, dude, what if LeBron James in high school was like, nah, I'm a woman. This dude would be dunking on every person of all right, time. Right, but someone at the skill level of LeBron James would would probably argue that a woman should play in the NBA rather than him trying or true. <laughs> trying to I not see what you're saying. This. They, they would they would punch <laughs> As up. opposed to LeBron saying I want to play in the WNBA. W, yeah, it would be they, the would, opposite. they would punch up. Yeah, I see what you're yeah. saying. And, you know, selfishly they'd be Just like for financial reasons, right? Like there's no say, reason yeah. you'd want to play in the WNBA if you could play in the NBA. Right. No, yeah. I, agree. I just think you also, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's, there's so much one that we can't account for, or we can't comprehend necessarily. And we can't necessarily understand that it's yeah. I but ladybugs, know. sick film, sick film, ladybugs. You should check that out. Um, Rodney Dangerfield rip. There's one last thing we want to talk about. Cause this just rubbed me the wrong way. And maybe I'm, I'm offside here. Maybe I'm looking too much into this. Maybe I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I want to get your opinion on this. So 
over the past week or so, maybe the past couple of weeks, uh, WWE has been announcing, I shouldn't say WWE, 2K and WWE games are announcing all of their roster and their the ratings for all the wrestlers on their roster for the upcoming WWE video game, WWE 2K23, whatever the hell. So they've been doing it in chunks. It's like, okay, here's 10 people today and 10 more people and 10 more people and 10 more people. And on Friday, I believe it was, the rating for Carmella came out. And after this, Carmella took to Twitter and did one of those like little notes things. So you know something's up when like the notes app comes out, right? And I'll read what it says. Now, to preface this, I know Carmella has had a rough year for personal reasons and whatever. Won't get into that, but you can find it on the internet. She had a rough year. So no disrespect to Carmella in terms of that. You're, you know, best wishes to you. Like, I'm not trying to like hate on you or anything personally. I have one issue with this that I want to get your opinion on. Okay, so what she said was, after everything I went through a few months back, it feels meaningless and irrelevant to be upset over a trivial number some video game nerds assigned to me. My accomplishments, my resume, and my talent should speak for themselves. I choose to be excited that I'm even included in a video game, and I'm honored to be in 2K23. In 2023, I'm no longer fighting to convince people to see my worth. I know what I bring to the table, and a sincere thank you to all of you who see it. I love the WWE universe so much. So that was a statement. Um, I think on the surface, it sounds like, yeah, okay, whatever. They raid me, whatever, and I, I, whatever. I think that's what she was trying to get at. And I think there's like messages later in the chain of her saying, um, I'm not upset about it. Like, so she's commented later on. She's like, I'm not upset about it. I was just more or less trying to address the fans that were upset about my rating. So I think she's trying to tell everyone, like, look, I am not necessarily upset about it, but like, I know what my fans were. So this is my statement towards that. The part that stuck out to me, though, and I don't know if this stuck out to anyone else. And I retweeted something similar, like to just kind of call out that fact. This is what stuck to me that I didn't like the sound of. The part where, in like the first sentence, pretty much, is literally the first sentence. It says, "It feels meaningless and irrelevant to be upset over a trivial number some video game nerds assigned to me." That's the part that I didn't like. It's that like condescending sounding, "I'm better than these fucking nerds" type of thing. Like all these people who work on those video games are just losers, and I don't respect the industry and. You know, they're beneath me in some way. That's the impression I got from it. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But to me, I was, when I read this, I'm like, fuck, this sounds so tone deaf. Like, you are upset about the rating they gave you in the video game, and therefore you're going to call them nerds? Like, no fucking hard these people work? Like, do you have any idea how many people it takes to make a video game? And you're you're going to call them nerds like that? Like, you're... Like you're so fucking cool, and this is high school or something. You know that's that's, that, that's the the vibe I got, and that's why I was upset about it. That was my thought after you said it was it's high school. It's like you don't agree with the mindset I have of myself or the image I have of myself, whether it's overinflated or not. But because you don't agree with me, you suck and you're a nerd. You know, like instantly getting condescending and you know using pejorative terms and you know being a shithead, saying that well. 
you don't like me, so fuck you, kind of thing. James, I I'm, do you know what Carmel's rating was in WW2K23? No. Maddie, do you know? Okay. I'm going to give you a list of wrestlers. And based on that list, you tell me where Carmelo goes. And then we'll see if we're anywhere near it. So the highest rating is Becky Lynch at 96. Then you have Alexa Bliss and Bianca Belair who are 95. Trish Stratus is 93. Bailey's 91. China is 88. Then you have Rhea Ripley at 87. Liv Morgan's in 86. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez, 82. Shayna Baszler, 82. Io Sky, 82. Dakota, uh, uh, Gigi Dolan is an 81. Dakota Kai is an 80. Katana Chance is 79. Caden uh, Carter, 76. Uh, Queen Zelina, 74. Oh, and Shotzi, 75. What number would you give, Carmella? Based 84. on 84. Based on what you've seen of Carmella in the last year. 81 to 82. Carmelo's rating in WB2K23 is 79. So we're not far off. No, we're not. He's <laughs> about accurate. Shotzi's like 79 like is like, yeah, okay, that sounds right. Shotzi had a world title run. Not run, but like a, a program. A women's title program against Rousey. Liv Morgan was pushed to the moon. Yeah. She's an 86. Ray Ripley 86. won the Rumble. Ray Ripley won the Rumble. She's 87. Um, Natalia's I don't think I mentioned Natalia. Natalia's on TV every single week. She's 82. You know, so like, do you think part of this is in character though? No, I don't. No? That's the problem. I don't. I don't for a like, second. Like, you know how MJF like, tweets things half in character, like even when he's talking about real things? No, I don't at all. Not for a split second do I think that this has anything to do with her in character. And this is, this is what the problem is. Here's, here's the difference. And this is the standard I'm going to put to every WWE superstar. If that was John Cena, everyone needs to fucking walk around with a wristband or a hat or a t-shirt or whatever that says WWJCD. What would John Cena do? John Cena would have said, hey, you know what? I'm glad I'm in this game and I want to thank every single person who's making this video game, working super long hours, working through crunch, John Cena would have shook the hand of every motherfucker at WWE 2K or whatever the fuck. He would have gladly thanked every single one of them. That's what I want to see more people do. Have more respect for the people who are making you money. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the quarter, because Carmella's in this game, Carmella's going to be getting a royalties check. And whatever that fee is, whether it's 10 bucks or whether it's $10,000. That extra money that you just got is because you are 79 in the fucking game and who gives a shit how much your rating is. That's the other thing too. If that's if that's the thing that bugs you, like yo, you got to reprioritize your shit. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I get you feel like your work isn't being recognized but if that was in another realm like if there was a some kind of list or i don't know poll or whatever then sure cool but like over a game that like you said people busted their ass and this is the hill you decide to you know plant your flag and make your fight on like 
come on man yeah i mean also like you said the body of work last year was non-existent nope so yeah so what do you want them to do to say you know what we're also too we're making the comment saying given the past little while that i've had regardless of the personal stuff she went through like do you think that deserves being like you know what you've had a rough year we're gonna bump you up by an extra 10 15 points and that's another thing it's like it's not like it's the it's nfl 2k or something or nba nfl 2k doesn't exist nba 2k or madden where they're using your actual stats and actual abilities to generate this number they're going off television <laughs> like this is what's happened in the past 12 12 months this is how many matches you've won how many matches you've lost therefore you get this like mm-hmm. there, i'm sure there's a very reasonable explanation as to how they come up to these numbers and i'm sure there's a team of people who have worked hours and hours and hours to come up with an a, a rating system that makes sense and is based in in storyline and what you accomplished in the last year has nothing to do with how fucking hard you work in the gym. I don't like, they all do that. Okay. <laughs> like you're all in the gym. I understand you all work hard, but I just think you should show a little respect to the people who are working hard to make you money. Yeah. Just a little bit of class, just a touch. And with that, I think it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week. Show. That's right, it's everyone's favorite segment of the week because it's the segment of the show where we get to hear Maven's entrance music. That was the hottest song, the hottest single in all of the world from that one week in 2001. This is also the segment where we shout out someone or something, someone that we want to shed some nice words to, someone that we uh, think deserves some adulation. James, do you want to go first? Sure. Dan, by the way, do you think Maven ever complained about his rating? In that I think one maybe video. was happy using the game. If one he ever was, game. I don't remember him being in the game. He must have been. Uh, my shout out is going to go to somebody I've been hyper critical of the last few years, but uh, I think it's time to give credit where credit is due. My shout out is to Kyle Dubis for doing the Dubis things that he's doing. Does that make sense? Um, I, saw, I just saw this tweet as we were all talking. And this is pretty interesting. So Jake McCabe has 122 hits on the season. Sam Lafferty has 94. Nola Chari has 168. By comparison, Alex okay. Kerfoot has 36. Pierre Engvall has 39. Kelly Yarncroc has 40. So I think Dubas has understood what people mean by compete. I think he understands finally what we're looking for in terms of grit. It's not just a guy it's not just a nick felino it's not just you know it's a it's a mentality that needs to be woven into the roster and i think these guys are gamers right that's that's what we want and they're not they're not dum-dums that can't play like these are guys who can contribute in different situations penalty kills you know what have you looks to be like jake mccabe Go look at Jake McCabe's stats this year. He played on a shitty fucking Blackhawks team. And that dude, I think that dude's like a plus seven, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. So it's that true. guy plays responsible minutes and is a gamer. So shout out to Dubas. 
Nice. Dusty. Maddie? No. Oh, I'm, I'm going next? Yeah. All right. So my shout out goes to Robert Simon. And this is, a, I'm taking a page out of Greg Miller's book here. Robert Simon, I've never met. I have no idea who Robert Simon is. Other than the fact that I know Robert Simon was one of the concept design artists on God of War Ragnarok. He is one of thousands of people who make video games that we love and will just be a text that comes up at the end of the game that no one ever thanks. So I would like to thank Robert Simon personally for helping create a fantastic video game. Nice. Um, mine was Kyle Dubas for the same uh, same reasons that Jimmy all kind of laid out was, you know, he's doing the work. And as I said earlier on, when we were kind of talking about it. Um, this is firmly on the players now. He's done everything possible to put them in the best position to succeed. He's gone out and got everything they needed to do. And this is all in a guy who we have to remember. He's a UFA too at the end of the season. And yet he's still, you know, people could say all these moves are him grasping at straws, but I think this is also him saying, yeah, I could mortgage the whole future and just go crazy. But he didn't because we still have next year's first round pick. Although, I mean, there's still time till Friday, but I just think this is a dude who wants, we think of the players as having guys who have compete, like Jim said, like these guys are gamers. This just shows this dude wants to win. He has this compete dude, too. Yeah, he has compete. He's a gamer. And for all the shit we gave him when he first came in of being the nerd and whatever, he's shown something that a lot of people in sports don't have. And that's the ability to change and grow and also say, hey, what I originally thought of maybe isn't right. So I got to adapt the way and change the way I think. And he's done that. So you know what? That's that's why he's also my shout out as well. All right. And shout out to you for tuning in to episode 45 of 43.6, which was, of course, brought to you by Now Your Treasures. We will see you next week for another excellent edition of 43.6. See you then. Hit the wrong, hit the wrong number. It's okay. <laughs>